Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum, and uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining again. Uh, we are on episode 37. It's crazy. Um, all of the previous episodes are available on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Harrison Greenbaum. They, are, of course, are available on the IBM website. And if you're not already a member or if you haven't renewed your membership recently, just go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. It's an incredible organization. The amount of content uh, and things they've been doing all throughout this uh, crazy, crazy year. It's been a year since everything shut down. Um, it's crazy to think that this show started uh, about a year ago, and we're about to have our first guest who has received a dose of the vaccine. So we've gone full circle. This is amazing. Our first vaccinated guest. Uh, I'm incredibly happy about that. Um, this show uh, is usually every Wednesday. As things start to open up, we're going to scale this down a little bit and do this more as a, a regular series of specials. So if there is a special guest that you think deserves the Who Books It, uh, Who Books That treatment, uh, just let me know. Uh, you can reach out to me via at Harrison Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. All the old episodes are available on WhoBooksThat.com or in Apple Music. This show is available as a podcast, and unbelievably, it is in the top 100 performing arts podcasts in 10 countries around the world, many of them where English is the first language, some not. It's huge in Japan, this show, uh, as well as Denmark and Sweden, France, uh, Germany. We have England, uh, UK, uh, Ireland, which is a separate market on the Apple's, Apple Music uh, iTunes uh, store. Uh, we have uh, Australia, Canada, and of course, uh, the USA. So thank you so much for watching and listening to the show. When you watch it uh, on YouTube, absolutely subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you listen on Apple Music, leave a review. A five-star review would be amazing. Uh, it really helps spread the word of this podcast and show. Uh, thanks uh, again one more time to the International Brotherhood of Magicians, uh, current president Stephen Bergazzi, who's been a guest on the show, a surprise guest on the show. Uh, and Alexander, uh, the president when this show started and who is a, a tremendous supporter of uh, all of this. And uh, absolutely a huge thank you to all of you for making this possible. Uh, I could not have made it through the pandemic without you guys. So thank you so, so much. I see a ton of comments already. People from Hawaii, Ohio, Key West, Miami, and Kissimmee, that's a Florida triple header, Southern California. These are all places uh, where there is a Disney World or Disneyland, which is apropos for our guest. I am so excited to introduce our featured guest for this evening. He is one of, if not the most prolific authors, illustrators, and publishers of magic uh, ever. Uh, he has over 30 magic books that he has authored. He's published over 70 magic books. He has illustrated, uh, I think over 100,000 fingers. Uh, he is just an incredible uh, uh, magician, writer, performer, publisher, thinker, and I could not be more excited to have him coming all the way from Washington, D.C. Make some noise. Get excited. It's Richard Kaufman, everybody. Hello. Hi, Harrison. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if you guys want to subscribe to Genie Magazine, uh, which Richard is the editor, geniemagazine.com, and we're also going to talk a little bit later about Mr. Jennings Takes It Easy, which is available at richardkaufman.com, K-A-U-F-M-A-N.com. So make sure you check that out as well. Uh, so excited to have you on the show. There's so much to get into. But first, how you doing? You have so much energy, Harrison. <laughs> like at the end of this show, do you just sort of collapse in a heap, you know, and they sweep you up off the floor or something? 
That is absolutely what happens. Uh, my fiance, who has been locked in this bedroom for the last year, uh, she's the only one who can attest to it. But this show is purely fueled wait, wait, by tea. You keep your fiance locked in the bedroom during this show. Yes, she's oh, very real I'm and very modified. That you know, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so excited. There's so many people already tuning in. Um, we're going to start from the beginning and work our way forward. Um, I have uh, in your biography, born in Queens, New York, native New Yorker. Uh, you majored in drama and English, studied with Stella Adler. Uh, but let's take us all the way back. Um, you're age five. You get an S.S. Adams novelties uh, set. Is there? Is it Love at First Sight as soon as you get that magic set? It wasn't a magic set. My father, my, my father, my uncle, Alan Soffin, took, uh, you know, they had those racks with SS, novel, SS Adams tricks and jokes, and he bought a bunch of those off the rack, dropped them in a manila envelope, and sent them to me. I still remember the envelope. I was five. And uh, there were Scotty Dogs and uh, Invisible Ink. And I have a very clear recollection of my father and I, he persevering gamely, holding it over a naked light bulb, trying to get the invisible writing to come up, and burning his fingers. Oh my gosh. And then a little bit later, you ended up uh, in an arcade, right? With, at Mike Tannen's shop? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember how I got to Mike Tannen's shop. Before that, my father, when I was eight, my father had taken me to Al Flasso's shop. And uh, Flasso had forced the, uh, I think the eight of diamonds on me, classic forced it on me like 10 times in a row. I was totally flabbergasted. Um, yes, and then later um, to Mike Tannen's shop around 1970, I think. So I was 12, maybe. And uh, he was a great guy. And uh, I, I believe he's the guy who invented the vanish of a sponge ball with a thumb tip. Wow. Uh, Certainly the first person I ever saw do it. I, nobody else around New York was doing it. And, uh, yeah, he was he was just a really nice, easygoing guy. No no hard salesmanship. Wouldn't sell me something he didn't think I could do, you know. And, and one I day he, that at one point he very selflessly, he directed you to Lou Tannins. And, yes. uh, I, I, and he knew probably that that was where you were going to stay. So can you tell us a little bit about that moment? I, I – he – Circle Magic had its had a catalog, and uh, I'm sure it was an existing catalog, and they just had their own thing printed on the cover. And I wanted something that was in the catalog, and he didn't have it. He said, you ought to go up to my brother Lou's shop. I said, oh, I didn't know anything about your brother Lou. Anyway, I went up there, and it was, <laughs> you know, that, that was that. I also used to go to Circle Magic, which was a small shop on 8th Avenue. Uh, run by Russ Delmar, was half of a vaudeville dance team. And when he retired, he ran a magic shop there. Flossos was still open. I think those were the three, four. There were four magic shops in New York at that time. And at that point, you started running around with a lot of the guys who were on the scene at the time, Gene Mays, Bob Elliott. And, yeah. uh, and did they help you like sort of break out of your cell? Because I, I, in the biographies that I've read, you were very shy at the beginning. Yes, uh, paralyzed with shyness. 1972, I think, was when I, you know, I just would go up and stand there at uh, the at the 
counter the tannins and just watch, you know, uh, and shut up. It's better to keep your mouth open and appear, uh, what is it? Better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than open it and remove all doubt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would, you know, I mean, Jim was a friendly guy and um, he asked me to do a trick for him and then he introduced me to other people bit by bit. I met a lot of great people up there, Harry Lorraine, Saul Stone, Ken Krenzel, um, Bob Elliott. Uh, I was a, a group, one of a group of people standing watching him do quick three-way. And uh, he said, uh, and I'll explain it to you, but I won't teach you the pattern because you'll forget it. So here's the explanation to a group of us. And he did it. He said, I'll come back in a couple of weeks when you've learned this and I'll teach you the pattern. And it took me six months before I gathered the courage to uh, ask him to teach me the pattern. And then I did that trick and I still do that trick. <laughs> so that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's a 50 year old trick. Well, at some point and very early on, I think you, you basically started publishing your own effects uh, and tricks around age 19, right? No, before that, Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I had a version of, I had two tricks. Uh, this was before Derek Dingle's rollover aces had been published. And Derek, of course, I had seen do the trick up there. There he is on the left. Um, and the rollover aces fooled everybody. Nobody know how, know how he did it. I came up with a way to do it automatically. No zero shuffles. And it involved a, uh, 10 double-faced cards, and 10 stripped cards. And I came up with that and a, a version of a Cliff Green trick, which allowed you to avoid palming when doing uh, producing. Uh, this was a version of the Phoenix Aces. And Tannen bought both of those from me for $25 each and put them out. And there's my picture in Top Hat Topics when I'm, when I'm 16 holding a fan like this. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I, I mean, I was already inventing a lot. I was, I did a lot of billiard balls when I was a kid. I did Jeffrey Buckingham's 13 ball routine from it's easier than you think. I had made my own little cummerbund. I didn't know what a cummerbund was. I didn't have, a, <laughs> I didn't have a sport jacket. You know, it was all very strange. Although didn't your, your dad was the president of B Altman's, which was like a significant department store. So I feel like you had access to menswear if you needed it. Yeah, but who wanted it? You know? <laughs> Fair enough. Like once a year, they drag me to the boys' department and say, "You have to buy some new clothes." <laughs> I don't want to buy any new clothes. Anyway, so I, I did that. I and I started uh, writing up my own billiard ball routines, and that was in uh, 1974, five. And I also started teaching myself to draw. And uh, I, I wanted to do a book on this book on billiard balls. And I, I wanted Tannins to publish it. And Irv Tannen told me I should publish it myself. So that came out. I mean, it took me some years to learn how to, oh, yes, balls. That's One of my favorite titles of all time is yeah. just balls in all caps. And uh, it is one of my favorite magic covers ever. Thank you. Well, that overlapping hands thing I got from Barry Ross, 
who illustrated the Bill Tarr book. Um, anyway, I, I, I wrote and illustrated the book. It took some years to teach myself to do those things. I think that came out in 1977, maybe. So I was 17. No, I was 18. And, uh, you know, it was crazy. I'd come home from school and practice all day, every day, you know, for the rest of the evening. And then, you know, I said, well, okay, I, I, did, the, I did a thing on uh, interlock production with coins. And that, that sold well enough. I sold all of them to Tannins. And then I did the Balls book, and that sold to Tannins. And I reprinted that several times. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'm hanging out at the governor cafeteria with all these incredible guys. There are so many good people. And I have some tricks. So why don't I do a big book, like, with a bunch of tricks from different people? And that was card magic, which took, yeah, which took, that was years and years, thousand drawings, and uh, just took ages, ages to do. Although I love that, uh, since these are illustrations, the model could be anybody, but it's definitely you. <laughs> yes, well. There's I, a very great mustache. There's, there's you as, there's a photograph and sort of the illustrations that came out of it. This is from a later book, Coin Magic, but uh, yeah, yeah. summer style. I, uh, I could not draw faces. I could not draw eyes and mouths. So by drawing facial hair, eyebrows, mustache, glasses, and hairstyle, and shape of face, I discovered I could sort of portray people in a way that they would be known. So there are photos just like this in the Derek Dingle book, in Eugene Berger's books, in John Bannon's book. I mean, I just, I was able to communicate. Everybody knew who the people were. If I just put little circles over the eyes, we'd all look like little orphan Annie. <laughs> And we're going to get to this probably a little bit later, but I know you're a huge fan of Disney. Did that, did your, did being a fan of Disney at all affect your illustrations or desire to also be in sort of the artistic drawing side of it? I was not a fan of Disney at that time. Oh, wow. When did that happen? Well, I became a Disney fan as an adult. I mean, I, yeah, I went to see when I was a little kid, my parents took me to see uh, Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland uh, when they would re-release those at the movie theater. So I would have been when I was four or five, so 1962, 63. And the big one was then the new one came out, Sword in the Stone. Uh, when I was a kid, that was the first new one I saw. And then Mary Poppins in the movie theater and uh, Jungle Book. But I was not, uh, a, I'm not a Disney movie freak. Um, that's sort of a different category of Disney people. I'm a Disney theme park. Otaku, uh, which is, yeah, that, there I am, Tokyo Disneyland. <laughs> Otaku is kind of a, a super nerd in Japanese. And uh, the only place I can go where I don't think about Genie or my books <laughs> or anything is a Disney park. And well, that's awesome. Every, I'm everything else leaves my mind. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. And we're going to get back to that in a little bit because we were just getting to the point where I think you're about to meet Harry Lorraine, right? Uh, I, no, long before. I met Harry Lorraine in uh, uh, 1972 when I was 14. And I know it's that year because I have a, a book of his that he autographed to me at that time, dated. And I got to know him a little bit 
but uh, in 1974, he was looking for a person to illustrate his book, Afterthoughts. And I was 16. And someone recommended me. My friend Renee Clement recommended me to Harry. And so I illustrated his book, Afterthoughts, done with a Bic pen. <laughs> I got paid 75 cents a drawing. And they're absolutely <laughs> terrible drawings. Was that above or below? Mar what was the market rate at that time? It was what? Well, there was no market rate. <laughs> One other, I don't know who else was doing this. Ed Michelle, I don't know what he, he didn't charge. He, he would take merchandise from Tannins in exchange for all the drawings he did. I, I you know, I don't know what market rate was. Uh, but my, I, I suppose the only thing I can say in my, uh, in my favor is that my drawings were better than the guy who illustrated Harry's previous book. <laughs> and that's the only good thing I can say about them. And then did he sort of, uh, I know in uh, one of the articles, uh, Harry says, uh, I created a monster because uh, you attribute a lot of your writing, learning how to write from, from Harry. Well, I, uh, I wrote a book, which at the time was not called Card Magic. And it started with all this Cliff Green type material and then uh, sort of expanded into other things. And I, you don't, no one teaches you English in the public school system, right? You just, you know, it's hopeless. So, but I had I had a talent for writing, evidently, and I wrote this manuscript, and uh, I asked Harry if he would edit it for me, and we would he did, and we would go to the park near his house on Jane Street, and we'd sit there, and we'd go over it word by word, and I and there must have been a hundred red marks on every single page, and we every single thing he'd explain to me, do this, do this, this is no good. Don't say underneath, say beneath, da, 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 da. Fewer words are better than more words. Here's how you hyphenate, da, da, da. I mean, and he wasn't an, wasn't an educated person. I'm, I'm certain he didn't go to high school. So I, I don't know where he learned, but it was very helpful to me. And uh, my early writing sounded very much like him. Um, but uh, that happens, you know, I think if you're, uh, no matter what uh, craft you're involved in, uh, if you if you're a huge Frank Sinatra fan and you learn from listening to Frank Sinatra records when you start singing, you sound like Frank Sinatra. But it takes a while to find your own thing. Yes, he felt he created a monster because uh, he couldn't control me. <laughs> well, you did end up. You were on quite the tear. Uh, there was a period where basically every single year you came out with one or two books. Yes, um, which must have been a punishing pace. Was there? Well, how, how did you find the time and energy for that? Well, I did. Uh, I finished Card Magic in my first year of Queens College. So that was 1978. And then I didn't publish another book until 1981. Is that true? Or did, I can't remember. You had uh, 1977, you had Balls. Uh, uh, you had uh, the card classics. Of, you, there, you were, you were illustrations in 1978 for uh, Ken Krenzel. Ken Krenzel. Yeah. Uh, the real uh, three ball routines from Frank Garcia. Uh, and then 1979, Coin Magic comes out. No. Uh, 1980, the Gene Mays card book comes no, out. Card Magic came out in 78. 1980 was the Gene Mays card book. 19. 81 
was Hard Works. 1982 was a Complete Works of Eric Dingle. Yep. Oh, no, I missed Coin Magic in there. I must have used Hard Works and Coin Magic out at the same time. That was my last year of NYU, uh, 1981. You, and you said previously Queens College. Did you go to, did, was that? I did too. I, I, I really didn't care what my grades were when I was going <laughs> through high school. You know, my father used to hammer me about my grades, but I didn't, you know. I, anyway, uh, so I, I think I had, I don't even know what my average was. It was enough to get into Queens College, and that was about it. <laughs> Queens College being the uh, the city college, you know. So I, I I got in there, and after I was there for two years, I studied acting. There were no required courses at that time, left over from the push of the 60s where they canned everything. So I didn't have to take any math or science or foreign language, all things which were completely unknown to me. I, As a person with Asperger's, there was, there are many areas of life that are completely unknown to me. I can't. I can't count. I can do simple. I mean, my father taught me to do uh, some, some math just long enough to take the tests, but that was it. You know, I really could never do long division successfully. Used to be able to do some sub subtraction and addition, but multiplication. Sorry, but I can't do any of those things anymore. And fortunately, with a smartphone, I don't need to. Right. Anyway, so I, I when I went to Queens College, all I took I took uh, acting, art, history, philosophy, sociology, um, anything I could take. They were all of interest to me. Uh, anyway, I, I and I, was acting hard. I know you also studied with Stella Adler. Well, that, was, that was yeah. I decided that was what I wanted to do with my my life. And so I transferred to NYU. NYU, through the Tisch School of the Arts, you could study with, you could study at uh, the HB Studio, Herbert Berghoff Studio, the Stella Adler Conservatory, Lee Strasberg, uh, the Neighborhood Playhouse with Sanford Meisner, and I can't remember the other one. And so uh, I chose Stella Adler because that was Marlon Brando's teacher. And I thought, that sounds good. And I didn't like the idea, the type of method that was being taught by Strasbourg was, I, I just didn't seem to make any sense to me. So I studied uh, at the Stella Adler Conservatory for two and a half years. And uh, I enjoyed it very much, but I decided I did not really want to become an actor at the end of that because every, <laughs> the people all around me, the teachers, everybody was so neurotic. <laughs> and I just didn't think I could possibly survive being around that many neurotic people, you know, all the time. <laughs> and my teachers told me, they said, you'll get work, go to LA and you'll, you'll get in a sitcom, you know, you'll get work. Cause I was, I was pretty good at it. You know, in my class, I was, there were be people who were certainly better at the classics. You know, you try to imagine me speaking Shakespeare. That's not my thing. I did it. Wore tights, hopped around, you know. But, uh, <laughs> well, at that point, had you broken out of your shell? Because I know we had talked about your shyness. At that point, I mean, acting, you kind of have to be, you can't be too shy. Well, you know, I'd been doing, I was always in the show. I went to summer camp, sleepaway camp for many years. 
And I was, all good Jews must. <laughs> I was always the lead in the show because each, each uh, you know, we had freshmen, ju sophomores, juniors, and in our group, I was when our group did its show, I was always the lead. So, in 1969, when I was 11, I was the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, full makeup, head to toe. They wrapped <laughs> me in in uh, parts of corrugated cardboard with white sweatpants and a white sweatshirt, and then they spray painted me from top to bottom, including my <laughs> face. And uh, it was interesting, and I did it. And uh, I was, I played the captain in the HMS Pinafore. I played uh, Horace Vandegelder in Hello, Dolly. I played, I don't know who I played in Fiorello, not the lead. I played Danny Zuko in Greece. That's awesome. Uh, I wish I had any of these photos. I never wanted to have uh, a photo more than at this very moment. No, no. I, I posted that photo of me in Greece because my director, the the, uh, the guy who ran the drama department that summer was Bill Forsyth. And Bill Forsyth is now a well-known actor, does mostly B stuff. But the first time I was, I, I realized when I'd seen him again, I was sitting there watching Raising Arizona. And I go, oh, my God, it's Bill. And he was William Forsyth. He was one of the kidnappers, one of the Yahoo kidnappers. Anyway, I was so, thought it was so funny because we used to do our laundry together on Saturdays. So, he, I mean, he was, he was the first director I had where he had done the show uh, in some touring company or something. So he knew the show really well. And we did it. We did the whole show. You know, the whole thing. It wasn't a half hour thing. We did the whole thing. And that was great. And uh I I played Conrad. Oh, yep. Found it. <laughs> so there that's me on the right with the crowbar. <laughs> my hair slicked back with Vaseline. And uh to my left is Butch Beer. All the way on the end is uh my uh my bodyguard, Glenn Rosenstein, who's now a, I think he works as a prosecutor in Sullivan County, New York. And what there was his hand against the side of his head is Bill Forsyth. Amazing. He played Kanicki. And the guy all the way on the left uh, went on to be Andrew Dice Clay, I assume, just based on the outfit. <laughs> I was very thin. I was the archery instructor at camp at that time. So I was very thin and muscular. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and, uh, and also the Conrad Birdie in Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, that's a that's a fantastic role. And I also played Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls. I did both those the same summer. My my grandmother, who who passed away at the age of 100, very Jewy lady, uh, sur Holocaust survivor, came over from Europe, uh, learned English. Uh, eighth grade, I was Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. And it did not matter any television show, any major accomplishment I had after that point. Tevia was her proudest moment, <laughs> just seeing her grandson do If I Were a Rich Man. Uh, I was never able to beat it, no matter what I did. You have a song adorable, Harrison. I bought a lot. Yes, I know. <laughs> exactly. I know. And it's fun, because I remember I watched a video of it recently. I think I spent most of the role fighting my own beard, because it wasn't glued on, so it constantly would get in my mouth. You're really unlucky that you have a video. See, I'm fortunate in that I'm much older. There can be no video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are some performances I, I wish did not live on. 
<laughs> there's a there's a role I played in Big where I rap, and it uh, it exists, but I don't. I, very few people have been allowed to see it. And played in what? Uh, my high school drama teacher, who was phenomenal, um, he decided he would be one of the first high schools to do Big the Musical. Oh, and one of the reasons we did Big the Music, we were one of the first, is because it was one of the biggest flops in Broadway history. It oh. lost a ton of money. It opened and closed very quickly. And uh, we did it. Uh, we were, I think, one of the first high schools to do that show, probably because no one else wanted to do it. My condolences. <laughs> yes. Uh, so one of the things I noticed, there, there are three major articles about you. Uh, there was the cover story in Genie, the cover story in Mag uh, Magic Magazine, the cover story in, uh, in MUM. I actually have some of the covers. These are fantastic covers. Of course, they put uh, a Jew on the Christmas issue. Fantastic. Uh, funny that. <laughs> uh, and then this is a fantastic shot. Uh, and then this was the, the most recent one. And I noticed a pattern in how these articles describe you. Uh, and we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, the first uh, the first article says, uh, this is from Genie 1987. When Richard Kaufman and I first met, I thought he was a real jerk. He was pushy, obnoxious, hyperactive, and irritating. Now, only four years later, consider him to be one of my very closest friends. Oh, so that, that was, was Eugene, Eugene, right? That was Eugene. And then uh, we have Richard Kaufman is one of the few individuals in magic about whom almost everyone has an opinion and who has an opinion about almost everyone. Uh, attempting a reason and balance portrayal is a delicate task, if only because it is unlikely that anyone can adequately address all the conflicting opinions and impressions that Kaufman has generated. But then later on just says he's one of magic's most influential figures. And then fast forward to 2010, almost everyone in magic has experienced both sides of Kaufman. There's the bubbly based uh, chuckle as he excitedly tries to recruit you to an idea or offer a suggestion. And there's the brief wilting sentence of criticism delivered straight from the shoulder. And that's from Jim Steinemeyer. So there is this impression that there is a, an out, a hard outside and a very soft inside. Do you think that's well, uh, accurate? And where does that come from? I, I had no idea what Asperger's was. Asperger's is a, Asperger's syndrome is, you're on the autism spectrum. And uh, I was extremely abrasive. There's no question about it. I had a lot of drive. It served me well, you know, in, in doing, uh, sitting there drawing tens of thousands of hands and all that nonsense. That's not something most people at my age were doing. Uh, people with Asperger's are known for having a laser-like focus on only a few things. And I definitely did. Uh, human interactions were not among my strong points. Max Maven once told me I had the social etiquette of a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's all live and learn. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times in the 80s. And... It was about Asperger's. It was, nobody had talked about it much, but I, I read the article and I thought, I, I was serious, like this huge light bulb went off above my head. Like, that me? It can't be me. It just described me. Maybe that is me. It's a very famous article. And uh, a lot of people had the same reaction I did. And so, you know, uh, 
once you realize that these automatic responses are something that can be controlled, because one of the things about uh, autism is that you've got no filter. It's just like everything just comes right out. It's like, bam. Um, and uh, unfortunately for me, I was doing a, uh, I was doing a newsletter called Richard's Almanac. I started in 1982, maybe. I can't remember. And I had a section at the back called Bull. And I was just spewing all this stuff out wildly, you know. And, uh, you know, it just, I didn't understand why anybody was uh, annoyed by that. No, it couldn't have been 1982. I, actually, I don't, I really don't remember. Um, I did get fired from my column in Genie, I think in 1987, because I, you know, Jeff, I, I wrote that Jeff Busby stole money from like $30,000 from all of us who subscribed to the Browie Notebooks. And Jeff Busby had a pal, Dave Hardy, who was a lawyer, and he threatened to sue Bill Larson. So Bill Larson apologized and fired me. Uh, of course, the irony that I've, I've been the editor uh, and publisher of Genie for 21 uh, years is not lost on me. Um, yeah, there's gotta, it's got to be kind of – there is some kind of – not vengeance, but to get fired from the magazine and then become its publisher, that's got to feel kind of cool in a full well, circle kind of way. Well, I like Bill Larson a lot. Uh, nobody wants to get threatened with a lawsuit, even though Busby Busby threatened many people and never sued anybody. Um, but he managed to terrorize people for a long time. And uh, I have no mercy for that bastard. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad I outlived him. And I'm glad I have the last laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and by the way, one of the things that I also found while I was digging because um, we talk about the sort of uh, hard exterior, the no filter, but then the, the inner sweetness. I found this photo um, and I reached yeah. out to the guy in the photo who is, his name is Neil. And he shared a really sweet story, which I, I, I'll paraphrase a little bit. Um, we were going back and forth on Facebook, but basically he'd reach out to you in 1985. Um, and he's just said, I'm going to be on a magic trip in the, U in, in the USA. I'd love to meet you because I'm going to be in New York. Not only did you like invite him to your apartment, not only did you show him all around New York, introduce him to people like Derek Dingle and Mike Skinner, uh, you arranged for them to get into the Magic Castle and you gave each one of them a huge collection of Kaufman and Greenberg books. Um, so basically he, he ended by saying he made two strangers from another land so welcome and was so generous and his kindness is a memory that has stayed with us for all of these years. Uh, say hi to him for me. So I, I do think you you get, you get encounter those stories so much. And so I, I do think uh, that that's an important aspect of you as well. I don't know where I met Neil and his friend Gordon Ray, both of whom I saw again a couple of years ago after not seeing them for, I don't even know, 30, 40 years. So that's my apartment in New York. It was on the fourth floor of a walk up on 80, East 82nd Street. That's my cat baby. What you see behind me is a loft bed that Gene Mays built for me. And under that was my desk where I had a an Osborne, which is the first portable computer on one side. And behind me, I had my drawing table. And I spent like a lot of time under that loft bed working with my cats. Yes, I don't remember where I, I'm, I mean, I must have met Neil and Gordon up at Tannins. And uh, I always had people staying with me. I had two futons on the floor. Uh, they folded up to look like small chairs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a million people stay with me. Ron Wilson and Roger Klaus and uh, 
And these two guys I met, they seemed nice. I said, you want to stay with me? It's okay. I, you know, I don't care. And uh, when we're talking about, because you mentioned uh, Ron, and you, you fe you've featured so many people in so many books. Was there uh, any sort of sort of system for choosing who you would feature in a book? Was it whoever approached you, or was it uh, sort of calculated? How did you decide who to cover next? Well, I, I mean, it, was, it started early with card magic when I was collecting material for that. Actually, it started also with Apocalypse, which I, was my idea. I came up with it. I was seeking a, a name partner to have, so I, it, I thought it more likely to succeed if I had a name as a partner. And I had considered Frank Garcia, whom I knew very well. And I considered Harry Lorraine, whom I knew very well. But I decided to go with Harry because I thought he was a better businessman. And uh, so I was soliciting material and writing it up and illustrating it. He was soliciting material. And then he forced me out after a year because he thought he could make a lot more money if he didn't have a partner. But uh, my point about that is not that, but simply that I always had good taste. And that comes from seeing good magic. The people who were hanging around Tannins and the governor cafeteria when I was growing up, amazingly concentrated group of incredibly good people. And I saw a lot of really good stuff. And so I was able to pick for card magic and coin magic and card works. And, you know, I, I was sort of doing these collected type books then the first book on somebody else's stuff entirely was Derek. It doesn't get any better than that. And then uh, eventually I decided, I did the Roth book after that. That took quite a few years. You know, it's funny. I was able to do the first few very quickly, but Roth took a long time. And then uh, I, was, I published Eugene Berger's book, Spirit Theater, which had been sitting with various publishers. And it just intrigued me. I'd always loved horror movies, you know, so a book about, uh, you know, uh, stuff with ghosts and seances and stuff. That sounded interesting to me. And uh, so, you know, I decided I wasn't going to be an actor. And I thought, well, I get a job. It never occurred to me I could make a living publishing magic books. So then I was going to be, uh, I thought, well, I could probably do well in advertising. So I had a, a job in advertising for a week. And that was like, I wanted to kill myself at the end of the first week. <laughs> Then I had a job at a PR firm. Both these jobs were, were uh, my friend Matt Field got them for me. Matt Field was the uh, general manager in charge of WNCN, the big classical music station in New York at the time. And it having was, no filter is a great attribute for a PR person. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, the first thing they said was here, uh, rewrite these, uh, rewrite this stuff for the Waldorf. Is, and, you know, after a week, I wanted to kill myself. In both of those things, I wanted to kill myself. So my girlfriend at the time said, I told her, I thought, I'm thinking I'm going to kill myself. She said, don't do that. Quit. <laughs> That's a, I, I think the magic community is thankful that you made that choice. It was a great idea. Well, I didn't think I had any other path. You know, I thought I had to get a job. Anyway, so I decided to keep doing magic books. And uh, that was around 1985. And so I had to crank up the number of books I was publishing. And that's when I published Spirit Theater. And I started doing more books like Ron Wilson and Jay Sankey's book. And and that's also when you encountered Alan Greenberg as well, right? Because Kaufman and Greenberg. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. Was that later? Uh, Kaufman and Greenberg started in 1970. 
nine, I didn't have enough money to publish Card Magic. And my friend uh, Jerry Deutsch uh, knew Alan Greenberg, and he said, I, he told me, I think you should call this guy. So I didn't know who Alan Greenberg was. So I called him, and he said, well, you know, uh, sure, come up to lunch. We'll eat in the executive dining room. The executive dining room? He said, wear a jacket. No, it's what he, he said, dress nicely. <laughs> he said, do you have, do you have a suit? I said, yeah, I have a suit. Wear it. <laughs> so I did and uh, went up to the executive dining room. I mean, you're walking through this whole bit. Bear Stearns was huge. And he's on this elevated, this raised dais at the center of it all, you know, like the king. And uh, we went to his office and we did tricks for a while. And then we ate lunch and he asked me what I wanted. I think I need to borrow $2,000. He wrote me a check. We decided on the terms. And that was it. Thereafter, whenever I needed, because I had no capital. Thereafter, when I needed to publish a book, I'd ask him for the cash. He'd give me the cash. I'd publish the book. I'd pay him back first. And, uh, and that was it. That went on for quite a while, very successfully. He was a great guy, very good magician, studied with David Roth, studied with Slidini. Uh, he was very good. I mean, shockingly good. He could do all this difficult coin magic of Ross Bertram's that, that nobody was doing. You know, yeah. he, could, he could do everything as stars of magic. So, And I want to start bringing in our uh, surprise guests. Um, we alluded to uh, this first figure uh, several times. Um, I know you mentioned uh, Apocalypse. Um, but also one of the reasons I assume you worked with Harry too is because it was somebody who was a huge influence on you as well and somebody who oh, yes. contributed I, to your career as a writer. I wouldn't be where I am without Harry. He absolutely, you know, because I had no where, nowhere to learn how to write. You know, I was writing instinctively. I also read voluminously. And uh, so, you know, Harry really, he taught me so much. Um, and... Uh, that was a great thing, you know. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have made a living doing it without him. I mean, I could have done it, but uh, it would have been much more difficult. Yeah, well, let's let's bring him in. We actually have Harry Lorraine coming to us live. Uh, Harry, do you mind uh, unmuting? Uh, this way we can hear you. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're still muted. Uh, it's going to be the bottom left button where it says mute. You just want to click that, uh, and it will unmute you. It's uh, right on the bottom left. You'll get it. There we go. We have you in there. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Harry. Richie, it's so good to see you. Done it. You know, this is magic to me. I'm glad I worked it out so I could see you. <laughs> you know, and thank you for saying that I taught you once wrote. It's funny the things you remember. You once wrote, I forget in which book, you said that you learned more about writing from me than you did from your college. Professors. Yes. yes. That's true. amazing. And I have one half a year of high school. <laughs> really? I didn't, I didn't think you had half a year of high school. I have one half a not a half. A half how much is a term? I have a half a term. I left PS 188. In those days, they called it 9A, 9B. I don't, I don't know. And then I went to Seward Park High School and I was there for one term. So that was half of a year. Yeah. Half a year. Yeah. You know, that's always been amazing to me. And I'm so glad to hear you say things like that, that you learned writing from me. 
from a D's, Dems, and those kid from, the lower, from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You look astoundingly good. Are you? You're 95, aren't you? Uh, can you believe that? No. <laughs> Neither can I. Growing old sucks. Yes. I, I, I got to tell you, I got pains in places. I didn't know I had places. I met, <laughs> I met you 50 years ago. Oh, my God. Is it 50 years ago? Yeah, because I was 12 and now I'm 62. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, to be 62 again. <laughs> oh, 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 Jesus. Really? Wait a minute. When did you do the illustrations for my book, Afterthoughts? 1975. Well, now, how old were you then? I was uh, 16. So you're saying I met you four years prior to that? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know you well until uh, until about a year prior to that. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, we met up at Tenants? Yes, and at the cafeteria. Right, right. I have, I have a copy of Close-Up Card Magic you signed to me, dated 1972. Oh, okay. That's 10 years after the book came out. You, you'll, you'll find this story very funny. I'm one of the few people who's met Carl Fulvis. And what I was, all right, so I'm 14 years old or 15. I'm standing up at Tannins and I see Fulvis. I recognize him from the cover of his Stars of Magic picture. And I started talking to him and he asked me what my favorite books were. And I said, Close Up Card Magic and Cliff Green's Professional Card Magic. Now, uh, Carl hated Harry. And as soon as I said close-up card magic, he stopped talking to me and turned and walked away. That was the kind of person he was. He was an idiot. Even immediately, he he just stopped. Yeah. And turned and walked away. I called him Tom Fulpis. Yeah. <laughs> when I woke up today, I did not think we were going to spill the tea on Carl Fulpis, and I'm very glad we did. Well, you know, the, the guy's an idiot. Uh, he used to do things. I'll give you one example. I would be standing talking to somebody up in Tannins, and, and he'd walk behind me, and he'd say, you never gave credit to Tom Waters, and he'd keep walking. I didn't know who the hell he was. All I recognized was a big, long, dirty overcoat. That's that's all I saw. Uh, and, and he, of course, he walked away, and he kept doing that a few times. It, he finally said the whole name, Tom Waters, and he said the name of the tricks up in Pyramid Cut. I went and checked in the very first sentence. Is that me? Oh, God. This is the big 90th birthday party that uh, Steve Cohen threw. Oh, uh, uh, five years ago. Anyway, I looked at the book and that trick for Tom Waters in the very first line. I give him credit. I say, T.A. Waters, this is a trick of T.A. Waters. And this idiot, Carl Fulpis, would keep walking by and saying that I... Uh, I never, uh, you know, credited him. You know what he once did? I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When close-up card magic came out, I became a little more known. I started to lecture for magicians. Okay. Now one day I'm lecturing, and here's this guy with the long, dirty overcoat sitting right in the front. At that point, I didn't know who it was. Now I'm lecturing. Now I'm gonna go. I was gonna do out of this universe, I guess, or something with reds or blacks. So I said to, I was shuffling the deck, and I gave it to this idiot, 
And I said, what I want you to do is to separate him at the Reds and Blacks any way you like, okay? He takes the deck. Now, I'm not making this up. He deals down one, two, three cards here, and then he deals the rest of the deck here. All 49 cards. <laughs> That's the kind of idiot we're talking about. Harry, Harry, <laughs> tell me, uh, why did you... Why did you teach me how to write? Why did you edit that manuscript I gave you when I was 15 or 16? 15. It was, you know, a, it's it was a, a very, very simple answer. I loved you, Richie. Oh. I mean, I, you know, really. I mean, I loved you. I liked you very much. I mean, why wouldn't I help you? Because uh, I was obnoxious. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I, you know, I heard you say that. I don't I guess you are, but not to me. You were never obnoxious to me. And I remember taking you out for a sandwich. We sit in a park near my house. I remember one time you were eating. I said, you said, you know, I never had anything this good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And I liked you very much. That's. I don't remember you being abrasive. Certainly not to me. Well, you, you know where, where I said that. You took me to P.J. Clark's for a hamburger. You and Renee. Ah. And that's where I, I had the hamburger and said, I've never tasted a hamburger this good. Because they, right. they would grind up a filet mignon or a New York strip. Sure. Make yeah. a hamburger out of it. Yeah. Now, so this hamburger was $15 in 1974. Oh, my God. I didn't even remember. How do you remember that? I didn't remember that. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I remember all kinds of nonsense. I guess if I knew that, I never would have bought you one. I mean, we spent so much time. <laughs> we spent so much time together. Right. Your son was very jealous of me, Robert. You know, he was. I was paying more attention to you at that time than I was to him. But then I changed it afterwards. You know, we're okay. But yeah. you're right. You know, well, I was much older. He was. I mean, he must have been four, five, or six, or something. You know, so he he. Can you believe he just turned fifty-three? Well, yeah. If I met you fifty years ago, yeah, I can, I can believe that. Yeah. I mean, when I was fifteen or sixteen, I would call Harry. We'd talk on the phone for four hours. <laughs> right. Our conversations were very long. I, I can't imagine what we talked about for. You four know, hours. I can I, I don't remember what, unless you were you were writing a book at that time. I was always doing something. So you maybe know. that. Well, that's what we talked about, I guess. You know? Well, we would talk about all the tricks and some book you were writing, you know. Right, right. And the one thing, Richie, that you said, like I said, I don't know where you wrote it, but you said you learned more from me than from your college professors. I never forgot that. That was very yeah. touching. I didn't learn anything about writing in school. Not in, I learned how to type in junior high school. It was the only thing of value I learned in junior oh, high school. Right. And, uh, but I met you when I was in junior high school, long before I got to college. Right. I was already writing well by the time I got to college. I wrote better than half of my professors, which annoyed them. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the first book that uh, Harry helped you with, he uh, he wrote it up. I, I heard there was there was a, a, an annotation in almost every sentence. Multiple annotations in every yeah. sentence. He won't he won't remember, but it was. And unfortunately, 
I can't find it or I'd hold it up. But literally, it looked like a, a chicken with red ink on its feet. I walked across the entire page, every page. Right. Uh, I was, I think I maybe still am a little bit a pretty good teacher, you know, what I, what I want to teach. It was a, you were a very good teacher. I mean, it was, yes, and we're both, uh, both Jews from New York, both a little pushy. You know, we were sort of matched up well. Right. We both loved card. <laughs> both loved card magic. Right, right. I know a guy that uh, taught me into apocalypse. For God's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember then spending a lot of time together driving around. I forget what for printing. I guess. And uh, no, no, we we, we drove around because we drove out to Ken Krenzel's house out in Long Island. Why? So we could I could take the photos of his hands to do the illustrations in oh. card. Oh, Jesus, you know, that I didn't remember. Yeah, I remember, and, why and, does New Jersey come to mind? I don't, I don't know. We, we didn't go to... Did we have the thing printed? Uh, I, I had it printed in Manhattan. Ah. Yeah. So here's a funny story. Harry is an exemplary driver. Ha! <laughs> ah. <laughs> And so we're going, a little bit of sarcasm. <laughs> we're on the Long Island Expressway in the left lane. And he says, I'm looking at the map. He says, where do I get off? Where do I get off? Where do I get off? What the hell do I know? I'm looking at the map. <laughs> I couldn't read a map. I said, I think you get off here. He went across all four lanes, right out the exit. <laughs> Whoosh. I tell you, my hair stood up. <laughs> and only recently did it go back down. <laughs> I don't remember that, but. I usually, I don't do things like that. You know why? I'm a damn coward. I'm afraid, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm surprised to hear that, that I did things, <laughs> things like that. Jeez. Yeah. Oh. But well, I, I think I'm going to use that. I think next time I'm driving and uh, my sister or fiance complains, I'm going to say I'm as good a driver as Harry Lorraine. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is. <laughs> I get my license expired when I turned uh, 94. Uh, there was no way I could renew it. There's no way I would have passed the test, you know? Yeah. So, but you know what? On the other hand, I drove practically all over America, and I, I, I'm knocking wood mentally. I don't remember ever having an accident. Yeah. No, you were too erratic. <laughs> yeah. Strange. You moved out of the way of other cars very well. I did, yeah, right. Without warning. Right. Oh, God. Listen, well, how, I, oh, yeah. I ask, how much time do you put in with Genie Magazine, approximately? Well, it's less now than it used to be. But for, for the first 10 years, it was 10 in the morning to 10 at night. Seven oh, days. that's why I'm asking. My God. Yeah. God. Now, why is it not as, as much as it used to be? Do you have people helping you, or do you just do things faster? Uh, I have more columnists now. Okay. Don't write Magicana now. Um, I delegate more. Uh, okay, that's why I asked. That's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, plus, I, I, you know, you just sort of – it's something you figure out as you go. Um. You're able to edit more. You, the people you ask to write stuff for you are better at it, so you have to oh. less rewriting their stuff. Right. Um, 
I mean, I couldn't do it without my wife, Liz Kaufman. She's our art director. Uh, we work very well together. We both work at home. When you say art director, fill me in. What exactly does she do? She, cre she takes the text and the photos, and she creates the magazine. She does oh, the layout. Oh, so she puts photos where I see a photo, and she put it there. Yes, but she's designed, okay. she's color balanced all the photos and designed the whole magazine. And, you know, it's a, she works harder than I do, frankly. Well, she does a heck of a job because it's a well-designed magazine. Yes, she does a great job. Oh, and yeah. I want to get into Jeannie because we do have another surprise guest that might connect with that. But before we do, uh, while we still have Harry, I, I had I put this picture up. It's you making a speech at Harry's 90th birthday. Uh, Richard, what, what were some of the things that you said uh, in that speech, if we're allowed to hear some of it? I have absolutely no idea. I, I, I'm sure I've told some of the stories I've told here. Uh, I would say that aside from some, maybe two or three kids from elementary school or high school that I still know, Harry's my oldest friend. And I would, say, I would say, I mean, at that party, I would say there were many people who could say the same thing. You know, I mean, Saul Stone was there. Saul just died yeah. the other day at 98. But he knew Harry when they were little kids. Yeah. So, I mean, well, uh, I was was one of my favorite things, pictures at the party, which I have some, I'm a terrible computer person, so I can't usually find it exactly when I want to, was you and John Rackabama each kissing me, one on each. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know I'm talking about? yeah, yeah, it was a funny picture. <laughs> one of my favorite pictures. I would rather two girls doing it, you know. But not at that age, Harry. <laughs> at 90, I think you have to take what you can get. I think yeah, yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> it's funny the things you reminded me. Was it Johnny Carson? Somebody asked Renee. We were married for 70 years, you know, and she died. So anyway, at one point, somebody said to her, what did you see in this D's, Dems, and those kids from the Lower East Side? No money, no height. I was 5'6", no education. What the heck did you see in him? She said his energy. That's what she said. What exactly that means, I never did find, find out, but that's what she says. So I guess I had good, great energy. You still, yeah. I, I'd say you're still standing at 95. You still have it. There you go. Right. I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed, really. I believe 95. Give me a break. Growing old sucks. Well, Harry, I hope you go on for another 95, and I yeah, appreciate please. you so much for, for joining us. Um, I want to plug at harrylorrainemagic.com, where you can uh, pick up all of Harry Lorraine's wonderful publications, harrylorraine.com, which has his memory work. There's some stuff that's free there as well. So harrylorrainemagic.com, harrylorraine.com, uh, 50 years of friendship. Uh, Harry, thank you so much for joining. Is there anything you want to add uh, before you go? No, I just, well, I'm so happy I was able to make this. And I want to tell Richie I love him. I love you as I always did. That's it. And keep up the good work. I mean, what else can I say? Thanks, Harry. Harry, thank you so much. Harry Lorraine, everybody. 
Make some noise, oh, Harry Lorraine. I appreciate it so much. And if you want to listen, listen to his full episode, uh, we have a full episode, uh, uh, Harry Lorraine. Uh, just go to whobooksthat.com. It's over two hours uh, and it's amazing. So check that out. Only he, two hours? That's right. <laughs> he is our longest episode, but there's so much to get to. Uh, of course he's your longest episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're on track for this one to maybe beat that record. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but I want to bring on our other surprise guest. Uh, we mentioned Jeannie Magazine. Uh, there was a quote about Jeannie. You'd been publishing a ton of books. Uh, and then I believe it was in uh, 1998 uh, that a bunch of things sort of uh, came together at the same time. Uh, and the way uh, you described it was uh, sort of all the things that you had been working on sort of came together perfectly. So can you describe that moment? Well... Uh, videotapes had hurt book sales quite a bit and uh, fewer people were reading books and it became apparent to me that I would no longer be able to make a living uh, just writing and illustrating and publishing magic books and coincidentally at that time Irene and Erica Larson had decided to sell Genie, and so I thought I might be able to do that with the help of many friends. So we put in a bid. We were not the only bidders. Uh, my friends, uh, Daniel and Jane Solomon, came in as our partners. They supplied the capital. Uh, we were not the highest bidder. Yes, there they are with all of our kidlings. <laughs> they were not the highest bidder. By We were not the highest bidder. But Irene felt that we could do the job that we had a plan and that I, I mean, I had done, I knew a lot of people. By 1998, I was already, what, 88, 78? I was already 24 years in, in the field of magic, in terms of writing, drawing, traveling, doing things. So, you know, I thought, well, I, I might be able to do it. It started out, I mean, I thought I did pretty badly for the first six months. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, uh, but, you know, I had worked on Magic Magazine with Stan Allen uh, for some time before that. And so that was one of the things that uh, made me feel I could, I could do this. I, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea how much work it would be. Um, but, you know, there you go. I did it. I think it's like any good creative endeavor. If you know, if you knew how much work would go into it at the onset, it would uh, you wouldn't do it. But once once you're in it, you're in it. Well, after I did Card Magic, which was my first huge book, and that was back in I did it in '78, published '79. I said I'm never doing this again. What a horrible experience! <laughs> and of course, I then promptly turned around and did it again another 30, 40 times. Right. Uh, I, I I didn't know what I. Before you do it, you don't know what it's going to involve in a task. And once you've done the task, you think, uh -huh. But then I realized I really like doing it. And now I do these enormous books, 250,000 words, 400,000 words. They're huge. And I really enjoy it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get into uh, some questions about your creative process as well. But we have a surprise guest who's been very, very patient. Uh, we spoke about you buying Genie in 1998. Uh, a new partner entered Genie recently. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Randy Pitchford. 
And I might have already given away a surprise. So I'll put him in so he's here while you talk about it. Hi, Randy. How you hey, doing? Hey, guys. Hey, Harrison. Hey, Richard. Hey, Randy. Are you? Yeah, in... you didn't think you'd see your boss on here, huh? Are you? At, <laughs> are you? Are you at Nirvana? Yes, I am. Look, say hi to Christy. Hey, hi, Christy. Hey. Is that Nolan? No, no. This is uh, Mark DeDecker, my chief of staff at Gearbox. Oh. Um, uh, Christy and I are now fully vaccinated. Oh, good for you. So we're wondering when the rest of the world's gonna get sorted. So we're 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 pretty excited about that. How are you, Richard? Uh, I got well. I got my first shot, so I'm good. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm feeling a lot better. <laughs> you didn't know you were gonna do this is your life today, did you? No, I didn't know <laughs> I was gonna do this is my life. But what can I tell you about Randy Pitchford? <laughs> um, he wears a red suit and little pointy ears and carries a pitchfork. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, wow. That was a, a Tone's place. And Randy's the opposite. Yeah. Randy's an angel, not a devil. Uh, so Jeannie reached a rocky point, a very rocky point. This is sort of the same point we had reached with, uh, I had reached with publishing books in 1998. And uh, I needed a, a new partner where we were going to, uh, as Magic did some, some years later. And uh, Randy Sinnott, who was the president of the Academy of Magical Arts at the time and to whom I was lamenting, said, you, you should read, reach, you should uh, meet Randy Pitchford. Now, Randy has been very involved with the Academy of Magical Arts for quite a while. Um, an avid supporter of the Academy, new Irene, new Erica. And also his Peacock Theater, which we mentioned uh, in the Rudy Kobe episode. The, the Peacock Theater is an incredible uh, tribute to variety arts and magic. So there's also that element as well. Yeah, that all came later. That came later. <laughs> so I, I met Randy for the first time. That was at my house, right? You came to my house? I think so. Or did we meet, did we meet at Brooklyn? No, I think we met at the Los Angeles History Conference. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The magic history. So yeah. uh, we met. We chatted. Uh, we were quite simpatico. Uh, Randy was quite accepting of my quirks and foibles. Uh, <laughs> I would say he's got his own quirks and foibles. <laughs> what are you uh, talking about? <laughs> And so we, we really, and, and to prove that we're simpatico, we actually took a long trip together, almost three weeks through Asia, through Asia and got along really great. It was amazing. It was one of my favorite trips. We, yeah. we went to every uh, Disneyland theme park in Southeast Asia. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I really um, don't know many people who could, stand being around me for three weeks aside from my wife <laughs> um so yeah we i mean we i'm ready for more we're gonna go to we're gonna do paris disney when when everything's safe right yeah 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 i'm gonna yeah. see one of your carry-ons that's, that's <laughs> so randy so richard approaches you what wait were you initially was it were you did you like was it an instant decision? Like yes, absolutely. I was so I was not the guy. But what happened was I sat down with Irene, and you know 
it's genie's important. It's an institution. And Irene told me that she thought Richard was right, that it was a wonderful idea. And she basically asked me to take care of it. And I told her I would. And then, you know, now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm actually quite grateful because, um, you know, R Richard's been a, a big influence on my development as a magician, of course, like most, because of all the, all the obviously all the books and all the work he's done. Um, but Richard's actually awesome. You know, I, I, I was listening earlier when you're talking about the soft inside. And I have met a lot of people that have a lot of strong feelings about Richard. Um, uh, and and <laughs> some, some of them are earned. A lot of those feelings are really well earned. Um, but I've had the great privilege of getting to know Richard on a personal level and sharing, you know, personal experiences with Richard. And I, I think I think he's a, a, a beautiful person. And and uh, and and the, the, even the people that um, might disagree with Richard the most can agree that Richard loves magic cares about magic, lives, breathes, eats, sleeps magic. And not only has he given magic a lot, but he has more to give and wants to keep giving it. And so even the, even the biggest detractors can agree with that and, and have to confess that the world is better with Richard in it than not. And so on some level, even his biggest detractors are also supporters of Richard Kaufman. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I regularly receive packages in the mail that I discard before opening. <laughs> they have you white the <laughs> uh, what, is it, what, is, what is your relationship now on the magazine? Is it hands-off? Is, uh, is it a collaboration? What, uh, how, how, what, is the, what are the roles that you guys now play? Um. Well, there would be no magazine if it weren't for Randy's generosity, enthusiasm, and love of magic. Jeannie would simply have ceased to exist. So, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I say thank you uh, for that. And I, everybody in magic should say thank you. Uh, Randy is so busy as the head of Gearbox Software, and now as a film producer, because uh, he's producing, he's one of the producers on the film of Borderlands, which is about to start shooting in Hungary. And he's been over there for pre-production. And this is not some little Pizzacaca movie. The, this, the, this is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Hart, Kate, Kate Blanchett, and uh, some other people I don't, I mean, it's like Jack, Jack Black. Black. It's a huge cast, you know, so, He's busy as a film producer now, but he makes time if I need something or advice. Uh, he makes the time. I consult him regularly. Uh, he likes to write an article now and then. He contacted me recently about something he'd like to do. But, you know, like a good boss, he also knows uh, that I'm capable of doing it on my own. He doesn't have to worry about that which frees him to continue doing the things that are uh, really important to him, you know. The other neat advantage that we've had, I think, is that uh, Richard knows a lot of people in magic. I, I also know a lot of people in magic, and they're not always 100% the same overlap. And in fact, some of the people that might 
before had been a little bit maybe antagonistic are, are people that like I, I'm very close with and friends with and, and we've been able to build bridges uh, that I think has been kind of nice and, and helpful for Jeannie. <laughs> yeah, it's been very helpful. Um, we've been able to do some things we would not have otherwise been able to do. Have some people at the Genie Convention we would not otherwise have been able to have. Um, so it, 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 we have a very good and harmonious relationship. Um, we're, we're there for the other if we need it, need advice. I think it's more of a one-way street with his stuff coming toward me than <laughs> my stuff coming toward him. But, you know, it's important that if I'm going to have a partner in an enterprise like Genie, that that, that person uh, know a lot about magic. And Randy is a very good magician. He's been doing magic since he was a kid. Uh, obviously, he's related to Cardini. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, he knows a lot about me because he's been looking at my stuff because I'm 12 years older than him. Happy, happy birthday, boss. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so... I, I, we would have a less, far less successful relationship if if Randy didn't know magic so well and didn't do magic. You know, that's been very important. It's been, yeah, that that that's definitely been an advantage. Um, I, you know, the other thing too, though, R Richard is, um, you're, you're you're a miracle at this. Uh, you know, you, we we have invested in the magazine and and we we we've been able to make the magazine a little bit bigger than before I got involved and, 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 you know, give you the resources you need, but it's still, you know, it's a very tricky business, Harrison. And, um, it's, it's not, you know, if, if one wants to make money, uh, in 2021, one, one probably is not thinking, you know what I should do? I should start a print magazine <laughs> about one of the most niche things on earth, right. you know? Uh, and, and, Richard has found a way, not merely, um, I mean, yeah, incredible mind with magic and, 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 and knows, knows how to think about content in the written medium, but also very shrewd in, in figuring out how to deliver such high quality stuff within a margin, within a budget that, that keeps it sustainable. Um, so, you know, Richard's crediting me for keeping Gene alive, but I, I credit Richard. I think that a lot of different people in his seat you know, you could you could have me as a sugar daddy, and it wouldn't be enough uh, because it's just too expensive to do this kind of thing. And 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 Richard's found a way to to create incredible value in content. I mean, Genie's like it's an unbelievable value. I every month when I get it, I'm just astonished. You know, the thing. What is it, what do you charge for the magazine, Richard? Like a few, like how much? But how much does it cost an issue? As low as $35 for a digital subscription for a year. For a year. Unbelievable. <laughs> and like when you think about what's inside, like this issue, I was excited that this month we have uh, Cardini is on the cover again uh, <laughs> because he was, yes, because of the, uh, that, that, legendary, that legendary <laughs> uh, meeting that uh, Eddie McGuire set up with the, fa the Phantom at the card table. Um, I haven't read the article yet, Richard. I, I just got my copy and I just got back into town from Hungary, but uh, I'm excited to read it. But um, uh, but when you, I, fl I, I flipped through it and there's some 
insanely good magic in there, like insanely good magic. And the magazine costs, you know, five or six bucks an issue uh, if you buy digitally. And, uh, you know, the cheapest trick on any website right now is three, three to four times that. Yeah. And, and there's just so much good content in there. Um, so I, I but personally, I love publishing tricks in Genie because it's a great way to know that no one's going to read it. But I've made, I've made the claim. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Everybody knows the best way to hide something is to put it in print. Yeah. <laughs> also, something I've noticed, and I, I don't know if this is directly related to you coming on board, but like the number of women and people of color have increased uh, exponentially on the covers. Um, I know just going back through the history of Genie, uh, I think Hiawatha was on the cover in 1994, and there wasn't an African-American magician on the cover again until 2000 and uh, I think seven uh, or 2008. Uh, and I've noticed that there's been uptick in representation. Is that something that has become increasingly important going forward? It's, it's very important. It's very important. Um, I've made a concerted effort uh, to broaden the diversity of our staff and the people who write for us. Um, and, and I plan to do more of that going forward. You know, uh, one of the articles I wrote for Jeannie in the 1980s was a cover story on Charles Green, who's a trade show magician and a friend of mine since uh, we were kids. And he was the first black magician to, uh, to appear on the cover of Jeannie, I think, in decades at that point. And they lost subscribers. The Larson family lost subscribers because Charles was on the cover. And uh, that's not the case now, but I, when I, I wrote a uh, statement about, uh, about uh, Black Lives Matter uh, during the riots, and uh, I lost some subscribers then, you know, and that's just this year, um, but it's okay. You know, uh, we'll get other subscribers, Richard. Yes, <laughs> I'm not worried. And, and it does start with the talent, and that's something Richard's pioneered. You know, in my video game company, we're, we're also entertainers, and you know, we think we one of our one of our I don't know if I'd call it a slogan, but certainly one of our values is, in order to entertain the world, we must be of the world, and the content reflects the people who are creating it. And as as Richard's increased the diversity of the people contributing to Genie you're going to see that reflected in the content and it's beautiful. You know, what, when I, when I start hearing uh, young female magicians say, I saw so-and-so on the cover of Genie or on TV, another female magician, and it inspired me. That inspires me to do more of that. Um, you know, I mean, it's a very simple sentiment, a very simple statement. We just, need to do more no i i agree i think that i think it's awesome and and you could see it just ramping up and it and it, it's great uh it's a trend that is awesome um i, I know randy you are super busy and uh i don't want to keep you too long um although is nirvana open if people are in texas can they it, can they it is there? you know well everything's open, everything's open in texas but the, oh, that's the, right. you know, Chris, christy was close for a long time here in nirvana and uh nirvana for those that don't know is um it's a video game themed bar and restaurant in Frisco, Texas that my wife uh, uh, built and, and, and owns and operates. And, um, you know, they've been very, they've been very cautious. They did the, you know, very low occupancy as, as, 
as as you know things start to still require masks. Here's here's my mask right here. We're kind of in our private booth, uh, which has walls all around. So you know, and I obviously I've been vaccinated. So um, but uh, but we're still doing the masks here and all that, uh, and regardless of what uh, our governor, Mr. Abbott. <laughs> has to say, but uh, you know, it's going at a crazy clip. I'm so excited about how fast the vaccines are coming out. So, I, but enough talk about me. Talk about Richard. Uh, you're you're uh, uh, you've got you've got a, a fine guest today, Harrison, and I'm 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 happy that you asked me to be a, a, a surprise here for him. And uh, I I, I want to hear how the conversation moves on from here. So yeah, <laughs> Randy, thank you so much for joining. I really, really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to geniemagazine.com. There's the link. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, Randy, thank you so much again. I really appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Thank Thanks, you. Randy. Uh, we are coming up uh, towards the end of our program. If you have any questions for Richard, um, please put those in, uh, in the comments um, and uh, we will try to get to as many as we can. Uh, Mark actually just wrote, I've been a subscriber to Genie over 30 years and still get just as excited every month waiting for the next issue as they did all those years ago. Great, great magazine. Thank you, Mark. Uh, and Frank, when you uh, uh, said to, for people to say thank you to uh, to Randy, uh, Frank put in a thank you. Uh, I know a big moment for me, uh, I'll never forget it. I think we met in Ohio and I mentioned wanting to write for Genie Magazine and uh, seeing this is this was the first, uh, the first article of mine that you published, which I was uh, unbelievably grateful for. Uh, and not only that, uh, but you willingly you you let me publish a footnote that had the word penis in it, which broke a record, uh, a longstanding record in Genie Magazine, uh, uh, which was zero previously. Well, I um, I knew it was a, a very uh, a big goal of yours to have your penis in Genie, so I <laughs> felt the need to accommodate you. But I think what's interesting is is giving your your columnists uh, uh, freedom. I know. Uh, Magic Magazine, you talked about writing controversial things in Richard's Almanac. Um, but uh, what is your approach to choosing the columnists in there? And what is your approach? Uh, obviously, you give uh, you, you you gave me tremendous latitude and freedom, which I was tremendously grateful for. Well, you uh, had a big penis. So I had to give you lots of latitude. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, but how, how, what is what goes into that kind of consideration for who's in the magazine and uh, and that kind of thing? Well. Uh, I have a, I have a standing policy. Um, yes, I did. I gave the American Museum of Magic the first typewriter I used to write the first few books. Um, I have a standing policy. Um, I don't know how I can phrase it other than to say I have a no dicks policy. No <laughs> dicks. I don't hire any dicks. I don't want any dicks writing for me. I don't want anybody who's going to be a dick, male or female. I just have no patience for it. Uh, it. It saps the beauty out of my day. <laughs> so I hire people whom I like. Uh, many of the people are longtime friends of mine. <laughs> um, I hire people who are not my friends. If they turn out to be jerks, they don't hang around very long. Um, but they have to be able to write. They have to have things they want to write about. And they have to be pleasant to work with. And, and those are the criteria. They have to have something interesting to say. You know, I mean, a big part of it is, uh, I mean, a big part of the columns in Genie, they're, they're magic. You know, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a big part of the, I, 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 it's tricks. 
you know, uh, Marvin, Marvin Roy used to say to me, he loved reading Genie because every month there were a lot of tricks. And I know that magicians love to read tricks and I like to read tricks too. So I put a, a lot of tricks in Genie and most of the columnists uh, are, are printing tricks. So it's either their own material, as in the case of David Regal, who's doing a, a new column right now, or they know other people who have good material. Or, uh, I mean, Jim Steinmeier has been writing Conjuring for us for quite a few years now. And it's a wonderful column, um, a lot of stand-up magic. You know, now he's doing virtual stuff. So people get real value every other month out of the Conjuring column. It's stuff they can literally read and then do. Uh, for their friends virtually, which is where we're all stuck right now. I, I, it, it's good, you know. I, 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 I generally prefer my the people who write for Genie to be friends. Uh, I like to be able to give friends the opportunity to write for Genie. I like to be able to give them the exposure. And I like to print good magic. So thank you, Jim. Yeah, and, and as Debbie says, I think it's a great policy. Uh, I'm still, I want to give a little bit uh, extra time. If you have a question, put it into the comments. Um, I found a photo. Uh, these are two, they're different photos, uh, I assume from different cameras of the same moment. And I'm wondering what is going on in that photo or these two photos. So that's me and John Rockabaumer. And we are holding the legendary Jeff Busby voodoo doll. <laughs> And in this particular picture that you have up right now, which is a color Polaroid, you can see that my finger is poking out from a particular place. <laughs> um, this is the cleaner version. <laughs> yeah, I took Jeff Busby's logo, I blew up the head, I pasted on this voodoo doll, and uh, John and I took great delight in sticking pins into it regularly. <laughs> uh, we have a question coming in from Tim. This is great because... Uh, it gives us an opportunity to plug the book, which I want to do one more time. Uh, Tim said, Mr. Denning's Takes It Easy was my Christmas present to myself. How did the loss at sea affect you financially? There was a crazy situation with a shipping container, right? Yes. So you can see how big this book is. It weighs seven pounds. Uh, I have the books printed in China because they just do such a wonderful job with the photos, you know. Uh, you know, they're really clear and nice and black. So... Uh, I, so because I have the books printed in China, they go uh, into a container and onto a container ship, which holds like 14,000 containers. And somewhere uh, in the South China Sea, there was a heavy storm and the ship tossed and turned. The containers broke loose. 1,400 of the containers went into the ocean. And down at the bottom of the sea, Larry Jennings met Davy Jones. <laughs> that means there could be explorers in hundreds of years who go down there. <laughs> And find a fantastic magic book. The whole printing, except for 100 copies of the deluxe edition, the whole printing went into the drink. So, you know, once that happened, it took some time for that ship was then docked in um, Kobe, Japan, at the port. And I have to pull off the containers because they all fell over. So they pulled off one at a time, trying not to damage them. And they have to check them and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the printers fully insured. Uh, and so it didn't cost me anything except time. You know, it's very difficult. People, people were sending me money for this book in September when I announced it, when I sent it to the printer. Because that's, I announce a book. <laughs> I announce a book. Yes, Dustin. I announce a book when it goes to the printer. 
and I sell my deluxe editions, and then we sell regular editions. Now, it's only because I have published so many books and delivered on every single book over the past 40-something years that people are not running after me with their pitchfork <laughs> and, and torches because that was in September, and it's now March, and the books are should have just reached the port of Los Angeles uh, last Saturday. So the printer turned around and reprinted them in January. Uh, but there's a, there are like 20, there's, because of the pandemic, they have a shortage of dock workers. And so the, like 20 of these container ships are just sort of loitering in the ocean off Los Angeles waiting to get offloaded. And when, then the books get in a, in a truck and they're trucked to Michigan to a fulfillment warehouse where they will fill all the orders. And I'm very hopeful that the books get to Michigan by the middle of the month. And then by the end of the month, people will start to receive their books. Now, I can certainly understand this is an unusual situation. And I think if I weren't in my 60s, I think I would have had a fit, perhaps a stroke. I mean, what terrible thing could you imagine happening that your, your books literally fall into the ocean? It's, it's crazy. But there's nothing I can do about it. Right. So, <laughs> there's no point in getting excited about it. You know, we've kept in touch with people. We've sent out a few emails telling people. We've shown a copy, a photo. We've shown a photo of the ship with the containers lying on the side. I mean, it was in the news. It was big news. Right. Uh, Although I think in 2020, I, it becomes that much more believable because, of course, that happened. Well, like, you had murder hornets, the pandemic. Uh, the book you were waiting for fell into the ocean. You're like, sure. You know what? This year, that absolutely tracks. It's a crap year. I think everybody can agree 2020 was the crap year of all crap years. Absolutely. And no, no, everyone is glad that it's gone. Yes. Although I will tell you, there's a lot of people I know who read a lot more this year. And so I'm sure your books got a lot of people through the pandemic. Um, that, I, we would, are, that would be nice to think about, you know. Uh, I, there are some people who have, have actually said that in the comments. So there are definitely people who uh, whose pandemics were uh, at least slightly better uh, because of what you put out there. Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, I have another book with Larry Jennings after this one. This is Mr. Jennings Takes It Easy. The next one is Mr. Jennings Takes the Tough. It's the book with all the tricks that involve passes, palms, calls, reverses, all the hard stuff. And at the beginning of March... I thought, you know, this is going to be pretty bad. So I need to do something so I don't go crazy. So I dug into the next book. And during the pandemic, I wrote 500 pages <laughs> of the next Jennings book. So uh, it, it served a purpose for me. I, I mean, I haven't, I literally have not been anywhere except to the grocery store and my home uh, for almost a year. So. And is there, are there any secrets you can impart? I mean, I literally just finished my first book. So the idea of having written 35 <laughs> sounds insane. Are there any secrets to being as prolific as you are? Yeah. Writers write every day. That's it. If you're a writer, you write every day. If you're not writing every day, you're not a writer. 
Just like I said, only half done. (laughs) You've got to plant your butt in the chair and write. That's phenomenal advice. I love it. You just have to start. It's not my advice. I learned it from somebody else, you know. Uh, I probably learned it from, um, uh, I don't know, uh, John Updike or somebody on the Dick Cavett Show when I was a kid. Uh, That's what we do. We write. And while we're on the topic of advice, the final question I ask every single person who's been on Who Books That, uh, because we are at that time, uh, the final question I ask is there are young performers who are watching, uh, young magicians, entertainers. uh, What advice do you have for them? Work for real people, not for a video camera. You need to practice in front of a mirror so you're not looking down at your hands all the time. Something I just came up in another interview I did. I had asked Larry Jennings, did he ever look down at his hands? And he said, I really try not to because I'm, if I look down, I miss so much. Because you're, you're fed by the spectators, you know. And the more you interact with them, the more they interact with you. And it's not good to just be sitting there looking down at your hands. So the way you learn to do that is by practicing in front of a mirror. Because um, then your you're head's up and you're looking out. And it's good to tape yourself doing things so you can sort of see it while you're not doing it to see where your weak spots are. But magic is not about performing in front of a, uh, a camera or a webcam or your laptop. Magic is about sitting with people and talking to them, you know, as if they're real humans. Uh, as opposed to facile, insulting patter you've memorized. You just have to sit there and talk to them as if they're real people and you're interested in what they have to say, which I learned from uh, Michael Skinner. And then you do your stuff and they'll be amazed because that's what magic is. It's a it's connection. It's not a digital thing. It's a connection between living humans, like live theater. I mean, we don't have the option to do anything in person at the moment, but we will, you know, within four to six months. Yeah. I, I don't watch Zoom shows. Magic, magic is reduced by video. It's not enhanced by video. It's squashed by video. And I don't want to, I don't, I, it's not a cup I prefer. I prefer not to drink from that cup. And I do think, though, if you are doing virtual or Zoom magic, that if I still hold, which is, if you're going to do it with the medium, the most important thing is the audience. So you need to be interacting and looking at them and including them as much as possible. It's not you alone to a camera and the, the audience is just sort of invisibly watching with you. You need to include them probably even more so than live because of that extra barrier of, of, of screen. Maybe. I don't know. I would never do magic for somebody over Zoom. <laughs> I feel yeah. Well, this 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 uh, virtual show has been amazing. Um, I feel like uh, I feel very close to you, even though we are states apart. Um, Richard, I can't thank you enough for being a part of this. Thank you so so much. I want to uh, put up one more time: geniemagazine.com. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, it's the longest running magazine. Uh, it's basically the only running magazine. So make sure you support it. Uh, absolutely worth it. Um, and get Mr. Jennings takes it easy. Uh, it is no longer in the ocean. It will come to your household. Uh, it's at richardkaufman.com. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Richard, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I, uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. Thank you, Harrison. Good night. Have a good night. 
Richard Kaufman, everybody. What an incredible, incredible episode. Make sure you go to geniemagazine.com, richardkaufman.com. Uh, a very special thank you to our special guest, Harry Lorraine. You can go to harrylorrainemagic.com as well as harrylorraine.com. Uh, and you can also, if you're in Frisco, Texas, nerdvanafrisco.com. And again, geniemagazine.com. Uh, and the show is presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. They're an incredible organization. So make sure you support them as well. It's magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. Uh, renew your membership if you're already a member. Join if you're not a member. It's a fantastic organization. Thank you guys so much. As always, you can follow me at Harrison Comedy. All the episodes are available on Apple Music and whobookstat.com. Uh, this show, uh, I hope it continues. I think it's going to be more of uh, a series of specials. So make sure you follow IBM on Facebook and follow me on social media so that you know if and when the next episode comes out. A huge thanks to Benjamin Budzak for doing the animation that has preceded every single episode of this show. We are on episode uh, 37. And check this out. All these people saying hi and thanks. Uh, Julie, so good to see you. Her episode is on whobooksthat.com. It's amazing. Dennis, Tom. Dustin, Jeff, Tim, David, and everybody from literally all over the world. Andres, thank you uh, so much. Jeffrey, Steve, uh, so many amazing people tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. Can't thank you enough. I will see you uh, hopefully on the next episode. This has been Who Books That? And here is the theme song that I'm definitely not just singing underneath the animation. Here we go. Who Books That? Who books that with Harrison Greenbaum? I'm singing the theme song. I'm singing the theme song presented by the IBM. Presented by the IBM. Presented by the IBM. See you soon.